ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek, 5 foot 11, 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous, 5 foot 11, 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got. You can get it ground, you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own. They've got all of the options. Uh, and then you use the code PEAKSPEAK in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh, you'll get a sneaky 10% off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I think they express post everything, so hopefully quickly. Perfect. Amazing. And well, that's it. Without further ado, here's, here's the episode. Yeah. Enjoy. Presented by Thomas Lilly and John Sheridan, Baby Cry in the Background, not included. Well, here we are. <laughs> yes. Back. Another episode of Peak Speak on this fine morning. It's not that fine in Canberra. It's been pissing down rain for like two and a half days. Oh, really? It's beautiful here. Yeah, we had a week of just stunning weather, like the perfect Canberra spring where it's like cold in the morning and it's 25 degrees by lunchtime and yeah, yeah, no clouds in the sky. Now it's just been cloudy and raining for three days. Is it cold? Uh, it's cool, but it, like I'm in shorts. Yeah. Uh, I'm maybe not the best yardstick because I have perhaps a layer or two more of uh, inbuilt insulation than the average person. Um, but yeah, I'm in shorts and a hoodie. Yeah. What's the latest on your door situation? Do you have a front door yet? Oh, man. Man, do I have a story to tell you? <laughs> so, no, we don't have a front door yet. Okay. Uh, apparently, the, one of the quotes was like 15 grand to get the whole thing fixed. But fortunately, it's not my responsibility, so I'm not paying shit. Um, <laughs> so, we're still waiting on that. And yesterday, <laughs> is it Thursday? Yesterday. Uh, another delivery driver ran into our stationary building again. Uh, this one was less catastrophic, just a delivery truck like backed into the front facade of the building and kind of got wedged and ripped a chunk off the roof yeah. uh, or off the like eaves basically of the building and um, then did a runner, like just left. Um, oh, excellent. Fortunately, our poor fucking cleaners were here again to witness it. Uh, so they're just a bit sick of the building being crashed into while they're here. Yeah. Uh, and like got all the details and stuff. So we've reported it and, um, 
yeah, we'll see what happens. But I just, I'm really incredibly concerned that things come in threes and so far we've been like stepping it up. We went from like a delivery van to a delivery truck and we're so close to the airport. The airport. I'm conc- <laughs> yeah, I'm concerned the next thing is we're going to have like a light plane crashing into oh, our building. No. At this point, I wouldn't even be surprised anymore, man. I Why just, does it have to be a light plane? Why not just to go the whole hog, do a fucking... Yeah, it's, it's been gradual steps. They haven't been like... It hasn't gone van to like semi-trailer. It was van <laughs> to like box truck. So I feel like that's kind of the next logical choice. But yeah, if people could just stop crashing their vehicles into my stationary brick and mortar business, that would be really, really very helpful. I just don't know what to fucking say anymore. It's just been so ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so it's a slow moving situation. So based on that one quote, it's just like, okay, we'll wait for the next quote and see what happens. Yeah, I, th- I think so. They've got to get multiple quotes. Um, your microphone's gone all quiet. Oh. Uh, but yeah, they've got to, so the insurance company, my understanding is has to get multiple quotes um, and just that process. Cause there's like, I think it's four or five trades involved. Like you've got to, you have someone to build the aluminium frame. You've got to have someone to glaze it with glass. Then you've got to have someone to fix the brickwork and install it. You got a sign writer to put all our signage and, you know, film and stuff back on the door. Yeah. Uh, and then the locksmiths to replace our swipe card entry system. So mm. uh, I think it's just a, you know, a time consuming process. Uh, I would be at this point genuinely surprised if we've got a door within the next six weeks. Um, which is just a bit weird. It's just having people come through the back gate and yeah. 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 It's just been a pain in the ass really. Is my microphone still weird? Yeah. It's still really quiet. It sounds like the microphone itself's not on and I'm listening to you through your computer mic or something. It's weird because it's not, no change whatsoever on my head. Yeah. Anyway, I can deal with it. I'll just turn you up. That's not well. Uh, so... What are we talking about today, Thomas? Well, hang on. Oh, that that's better. We're good? Yeah, that came back. I think one of my, I don't know, connections are dodgy or something. Enjoy that. Enjoy the technical aspect of this uh, show operation. Because yeah, we're professionals. Absolutely. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess I, uh, it's much louder now. I have a, um, a Facebook memory come up today from eight years ago. The Facebook memory says, hey, everyone, I'm pleased to announce that I'll be opening PTC Gold Coast in the very near future. Uh, so on and so forth. How cool is That's that? exciting. Yeah. That's eight years. Eight years anniversary of the announcement. That's crazy. Um, eight years seems like such a long time. And then you look back on it and you're like, man, it's really not that long at all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, it feels like eight years. We're doing renovations at the gym at the moment and it was supposed to be a two-week job and it's still going despite starting six weeks ago. So, Yeah, good. Excellent. Um, that's always wonderful. What I suspect is that the build is uh, not ad- adequately fueled with the appropriate sort of caffeine sauce, <laughs> in which case I should probably head to Prism Coffee Co and enter the code PEAKSPEAK for a sick 10% discount. Oh, that was very smooth again. <laughs> I am continually impressed by your yeah. abilities, Thomas. I'm going to drop the ball one of these days and you're going to have to catch it. Yeah, I'm not convinced I can. I'm not convinced I have that caliber of skill. Mm. Well, 
as on a cool morning, you know, when you're cold, you'd want a, a hot cup of uh, Prism Coffee Co. coffee to warm up. We're going to talk about warming up today. Oh, man, two-in-one. That Amazing. one was less clean than the, the last yeah. week's two-in-one, but it wasn't bad. It was a reach going for two at the same time, but... Yeah, I, th- I think you pulled it off, just it wasn't a 10 out of 10 performance. Yeah. You could be better, Thomas. Well, if you're not 10 out of 10, you're 1 out of 10, in my opinion. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Nothing says I'm a competitive athlete like the mantra, <laughs> if I'm not first, I'm last. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> first loser if you come second. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely how I feel, but that's okay. That's what makes us terrible people and maybe okay at powerlifting coaching. Yeah, so shout out to fan of the show, Alex Evans, uh, who actually asked me this when I said, what sort of content should I put out there? Because I put a question answer thing asking for content ideas, not because I don't have ideas for content, but because I'm sick of going on Instagram and everyone posting exactly the same thing. Mm. If I have to watch another knee sleeve tutorial, I'm going to jump off a bridge. Like, if you want a new knee sleeve tutorial, here it is. Grab the knee sleeve and pull it up. Like, fucking don't make it a rocket science adventure. Um, anyway, Alex asked the question about what we haven't up. seen Salty Thomas for a while. <laughs> yeah. Alex asked the question about warming up because he says he's always just winged it and never actually had any good advice. So I thought, oh, that's a, that's a good thing that we can turn into a topic. Also, Shout out to Alex and Stefan Passati, who are the only ones that uh, contacted me about the reference I made in the last podcast. So they both get free t-shirts from me. Congratulations. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, yeah. Warmups. It's a, uh, it's definitely a topic that I have changed my opinion on over the years. I have definitely drunk the mobility wad slash ready state Kool-Aid and spent the better part of 45 minutes mashing tissues into oblivion before getting under a barbell. Uh, Were you doing the agile eight or the, what was it? The limber 11, the agile eight. Were you doing that before? Yeah. Yeah. I, train? I definitely went through that, that uh, process as well. There's been a few iterations of that. I mean, having played a, like a team sport warmups has always been something that has kind of been just part of the process for me. Like I've never, had to consciously think about warming up. It just kind of has been a thing that I do because that's what we always did playing footy and stuff like that. There was always a a period where the goal was to prepare you for whatever the actual work was. Mm. Uh, Cause I know a few people who kind of struggle with that concept of like, I'm doing this to prepare, prepare for what I'm about to do as opposed to just doing the work and getting it over and done with. Uh, so I think having had that exposure through most of my sporting career, it's always been pretty normal but the the content of that warm-up and the length of it and where it sits in terms of how i integrated into the whole session has changed uh i would say dramatically over the years Mm. you know (laughs) just a thought came to my mind just then i don't know if you had this experience because obviously you went to school in australia i went to school in new zealand um we would do like cross-country training uh, before cross country was coming up, obviously. And mm. as part of it, the whole school would be doing cross country training. Like the teacher would be up in the front of us and we'd all be doing stretching, like static stretching, but we'd all be doing tricep stretches and rear delt stretch, you know, like this classic, you know, arm behind, yeah. arm across your body thing. Just thinking about it, it's like, why the fuck were we stretching our triceps to do the cross country? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because you, you've got to really get that arm <laughs> movement going, you know, man. Like, yeah, it's um, it's one of those things that I've definitely done some stuff both in team sport and in in training in the gym, 
that I was doing because I saw someone else do it and it seemed like a good idea without actually understanding the relevance to whatever it was that the task was for the day. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's part of the problem with warm-ups as a concept in the people that I see is that they are just doing some arbitrary series of things with no real thought to how it connects to what you're about to do on the day, the greater you know process of motor learning and, and skill acquisition stuff and all of those kind of things that form the meat and potatoes of training, right? They're just doing it because someone said a warm-up is a good idea and they just do some things and then kind of lift weights as opposed to using it as what it is, which is a very valuable part of a training session. Yeah, so to, to be overly picky then, I think um, uh, by and large, we need to separate the idea. Well, we don't need to separate it, but we need to recognize that there is a difference between warming up and preparation, uh, for lack of a better term. Yep. Um, and I think that's, yep. that's probably where, where we should start this conversation is, uh, you know, what are, what are going to be the key, key attributes of our, let's call everything just warming up for, uh, you know, the sake of using an umbrella term, but what are going to yep. be in your eyes, the key attributes of a warm up or a preparation phase before you do your training session? Well, I think there's an element of, uh, like the physiological improvements, increasing body temperature and those sort of things that are the, the things that are most traditionally spoken about as the importance of warm-ups. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the, what I would consider like the more general part of the warm-up, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe that is like you spend some time on a rowing machine or something like that, or maybe it's something more specific to what it is that you're doing, but that would be what I would consider the general part of it. Maybe that's the part that I would call the warm up versus the preparatory stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the things after that are specific drills or movements or modalities that are targeted towards what it is that is to come in that session and is assigned in a way that facilitates the best possible sort of baseline for what work you've got to come you know? mm -hmm. so i'm not going to have you stretching your triceps before you squat because it's probably useless it's going to be a much more targeted approach to things that uh yeah fits into the bigger picture of what that training session entails and you know the goals of the training cycle and those sort of things as well mm -hmm. yeah yeah I, I like that idea because when it comes to the actual the actual act of warming up that is like performing the exercise that you're going to perform and considering the warm up as like the jumps that you're taking to get to your working weight. Um, I think that's where people labor too much. Like they mm. think that they, you're doing a set of five, let's make it specific. Every warm up weight that you do is going to be a set of five. They labor on the kind of jumps that you should be taking. Oh, should I be taking a percentage jump or a kilo jump or whatever it is? Yeah. Theoretically, once you're warm and you've got the, the motor patterning aspect, down pat you should be able to jump from let's say you're doing a squat um, you should be able to jump from doing the empty bar to doing 300 kilos with nothing in between uh, from from a theoretical perspective perspective in terms of like once you've got that uh the patterning down you've got the blood flow to the areas everything like that you should be able to just jump to your main web that we know that doesn't really work that great in practice why because you you get uh, the proprioceptive the load uh the uh, gradual increase in load so you can yep. you know uh, i guess mentally prepare and everything like that but there's something to that right so if if you are warming up for uh, your working sets it doesn't make sense to do a great deal of work in between the bottom and the top 
most of your work should be done from the warm up perspective in the bottom end. So what I suggest people do, like if you're doing a 220 kilo squat is that you do two or three sets of the bar and then maybe one or two sets of 60 or 70 kilos, whatever your first jump is, and then just singles all the way up, maybe doubles, you know, just jump, 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 quick jumps, you know, relatively big jumps. Um, People spend a lot of time and energy, like really feeling things out. And the thing is, it's like, if you're feeling things out because you don't feel ready, it just means you haven't done enough in that bottom end. Like you, mm-hmm. if you don't feel ready, you're probably not ready. So spend yeah. more time getting ready down the bottom. Yeah. And I think that, um, that jump thing in the, the specific part of the warm up is something that I would consider to be more fluid for like a newer lifter mm-hmm. uh, who isn't just, doesn't have that pattern as well ingrained as perhaps a more advanced lifter does. And so the change in feedback that they're getting from a big jump from say like 60 to a hundred is so big that they then are unable to perform it to the standard that we're looking for. For sure. And so in that instance, there's a lot to be said for taking a much smaller jump and doing sort of, I always describe it as more sets, less reps. Like I don't mm-hmm. need you doing sets of 10 in a warm up. I want, like you said, sets of one to three maybe, uh, and keeping it relatively, uh, short duration, but executing it really well so that you're sort of gradually building that up rather than mm. those big jumps for the less experienced person. But ultimately it's, I think it's quite personal. I think some people do yeah. better with uh, a lot of work and some people do better with less work. Mm. Some of that I'm sure is physiological, but I suspect most of it is psychological. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are just better prepared for plate jumps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I've watched Nathan Jones walk into the gym put his bag on the floor, put two reds aside on a squat bar, do two reps, put another red, do two reps. And then he's at 225 and he's been here for three minutes. Yeah, yeah. You know, like uh, That's just something that I certainly haven't been able to do. I've never had the the level of strength to take such a big jump raw. Mm. Um, and I don't think it needs to be anything other than a fairly personal approach with that sort of stuff. I think people who labor on it being like, this is the perfect warm up probably uh, spending too much time fucking thinking about their warmups. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I like the point you made about the less experienced lifter because there's a lot to be said for just like uh, more reps equals more yeah. practice. Yeah, and, exactly. And from a fatigue perspective, you're probably not skilled enough to uh, create enough fatigue for it to matter that much. So yeah, doing that's a little bit for sure. Doing a little bit more work in the warm up makes a, a, a great deal of sense, but I a hundred percent agree. It is, it is such a personal thing. Like, um, you know, I, I personally wouldn't warm up the same way as Sebastian Orup, for example. I don't, for, for those people who have watched his stories closely, he, he does kind of weird warm ups to me, as in like very small jumps all the way up. Mm. Um, I prefer much bigger jumps in, in my training. But, uh, you know, I think, oh, that would gas me out doing, doing so many reps. I'd rather stay fresh from my top set. If you do that every single time, yeah, yeah, you're fucking exactly. adapted to it. It doesn't it doesn't make that much of a difference. So, um, like you said, don't don't labor too much on it uh, because you know you, you're going to adapt to it. But there is going to be a definite point where you're either doing too much or too little. Yep. Um, and so, as long as you're generally warm and you do that general warm up, probably in the lower end. Uh, and how are you going to gauge that? You can gauge it by your feeling of readiness while you're making your small jumps on the way mm-hmm. up. For me, it often uh, was dependent on the day as well. Like I always use an empty bar as like my ranging set for the day. Like the first thing I do pre any general warm up is get under an empty bar and do some squats or whatever it is I'm doing for the day. 
And that's a really good indicator of what do I need to do to be prepared for what's to come? Just how I feel moving around like that on a day where I feel like garbage and everything's really tight and stiff. And that first set feels really miserable. I'm probably going to spend a little bit more time preparing for the work to come. And maybe that's with really general stuff like movement drills and things like that. Or maybe that's just more time with a bar in my hands, Mm -hmm. but either way, there's some days that are like that. And there's some days where I do that first set and I'm like, um, probably just good to go. Hey. And so I'll slap a plate on and just keep working up from there. Uh, Mm -hmm. and I think the awareness of that process being fluid for the individual is important as well. Like obviously Mm. it's inter individual differences, but intra individual difference differences as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cause some days you're just more ready than others and recognizing that can be a very powerful tool in how you then uh, approach your training. Cause that's, that's auto regulation, right? That's you learning what your body's feeling like on any given day, how that compares to what you would consider to be like a baseline of feeling and performance. And then um, you have that as a reference point and you can adapt based on, on what's going on each day. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you, you go down that path in terms of like the, the feeling aspect, uh, because some, one thing I say over and over, and I say it a lot more now than ever is feelings are often deceiving when it comes mm-hmm. to lifting weights. And so like, cause I use that by feel approach when I'm warming up as well. And it's never related to how heavy or light something feels. No, like I, don't, I don't gauge it on like, Oh, 70 feels good. I'm good to go up. It's yeah. more like do things hurt. Do things feel tight? Yeah, yeah. Do, do I feel ready? And yeah, yeah. Uh, session to session, the weights just feel different to me every time. I, yeah. I feel like there's not a static, like 170. Here's the marker of like, I feel good or I don't feel good. It yeah, just, yeah. It's a, it's a spectrum. The more you like, you know, you can, you can tell a lot about how you're going to squat based on a hundred kilos because you've squatted everything from a hundred kilos on a fucking terrible day yeah. to a hundred kilos on your best day ever and everything in between. Yeah. 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 So that, that's an interesting point. Um, I'm curious then to like, let's, let's go to the other end. Uh, where is your current stance on things like uh, foam rolling, like movement drills, like static stretching, do any of these things have a place and how or where do they have a place for you? I think they all have a place within the right context mm-hmm. with an understanding of what the intent behind the thing is. Yeah. I went down the mobility one rabbit hole and would spend 45 minutes smashing tissues because uh, I thought I was changing tissues. I recognize lost? now that the mechanics of that is flawed because if a lacrosse ball poking you in the bum could change the quality of your glute tissue every time you squatted, you would explode. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and you'd never, ever, ever get tight traps or rear delts because yeah, they exactly. constantly rolled out. Yeah, exactly. So looking back on it, it makes me giggle. Uh, but at the time I was fucking sold. I drank that Kool-Aid hard. Yeah. Uh, and I, I dare say pretty much everyone in our, of our generation going yeah, through that has. phase did. I did yeah, in yeah. a big way. Yeah. And, um, I then went to probably the other end of the spectrum. Nah, all that shit's bullshit. Just move around. You'll be better. And I've come full circle to somewhere in the middle of like, yeah, it really does have a very useful purpose. Things like foam rolling, self myofascial release, whatever you want to call it. Uh, When you understand that the context that is most effective, or at least my understanding of it, is it's a neurological uh, stimulus. So you're providing a stimulus that changes the level of resting tone to a muscle or an area. And it's very transient. Uh, and that 
what it's very useful for is giving you access or awareness of a position that perhaps you didn't have before Mm -hmm. and then allowing you to move through and train that position. Yeah. So in very plain English, it's just tricking your body into being like, Hey, you're okay. You're okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So it's a, it's the sort of thing that I might use for 20 to 30 seconds on a particular spot and then go and do a movement and see if it feels better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Same goes for like movement drills, breathing drills, things like that. Uh, I think a lot of those are incredibly useful. The more I learn about, you know, the, the PRI end of things, not that I'm going that far down that rabbit hole, but that, that model of respiratory cycle, axial skeleton mechanics affecting everything else that's going on, the more I recognize there's a lot of power in some of those positions Mm -hmm. and in some of those drills when they're used in a way that integrates into what you're doing. I've made the mistake in the past of it being a very distinct warm-up block, lifting block. Mm-hmm. Now for me, like I said, I use that first set as a gauging set for the day and they go, okay, cool. Well, maybe my hips feel pretty shit. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll go and do some 90-90 breathing work or something like that. Come back, squat again and go, yeah, cool. My hips feel better. Now I'll try some weight and I'll use that not as like I have to have done three sets of six breaths in this position. And like, it's, it's not a really rigid process. It's much more of a in context, what's the best solution to what I'm feeling right now and what's going to help me access the positions that I want to get to. Yeah. And and that's a really important thing because it's helping to separate the, um, the ascribing of, uh, the ascribing of terminology versus the ascribing of value to these things. And so like, I think one, one thing the industry is, uh, has, has really failed people in or, um, is, is going in a bad direction or has gone a bad direction in is the ascribing of labels to particularly exercises or exercise groups that Mm -hmm. then carry with it a certain value that may not necessarily be the case. So in English, what I'm talking about is, Hey, I'm doing this uh, single leg RDL for stability before I go and squat. It's like, is that exercise that you're doing and is the way that you're performing it actually challenging stability or is it priming you? Uh, is it a priming a position? Is it warming up a position? Like it has value, but if you ascribe the wrong label to it, you can really trick yourself into doing a shitload of stuff that's doing nothing. And yeah. that's that's sort of you know when we when we sort of uh, ingest, say that we really drank the Kool Aid Kool Aid of mobility wad. There was some value in in some of that 100%. stuff. Yeah, um, but maybe we overvalued it and started putting blind value in something because it had the label of this is going to help me perform better. Yeah. I think we're doing exactly the same stuff with terms like, uh, with terms like stability. I think a lot of people are doing stability drills that aren't helping stability at all. That doesn't mean they're useless, but maybe people are now not looking for how is this actually helping me? Cause maybe it's not training stability per se, but maybe it's priming you to perform better when you squat. Yeah, then it's got value. So who who gives a fuck what the exercise is? But yep. if you're just doing an exercise because it's helping you stabilize and it's not actually doing that and it's not contributing to your uh, priming of a position in a squat, then you're probably just wasting your time. And the danger is, is that you find more and more and more and more exercises that fall into this category that you've automatically ascribed value to. And then before you know it, you're doing a one hour fucking warm up circuit uh, before you even get under the bar and squat. 
and the removal of that circuit probably makes no conceivable difference to how you <laughs> yeah. perform. Yeah, except your training sessions are half the time. Which, which is exactly what we, we have both gone through. Like, yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, I'm sure you added an extra band of distraction, an extra uh, yeah. mobility yeah. drill. 45 minutes of fucking flopping around on the floor. Legitimately that yeah, long yeah. though. Like, and, yeah, yeah. and now my warm up before squats takes me about 10 minutes. Uh, and I can't say I feel better than ever because I probably feel worse than ever, but <laughs> that's more related to several surgeries and yeah, yeah. bad and decisions like as a person. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, comparatively week to week, adding another half an hour of bullshit is not going to make me feel better. Well, and also for me, it's, it's really interesting to look at, like, do you have to do the same things all the time? Like, cause I used to be the person who was like, I can't squat until I've rolled out my glutes and like band distracted my hips. Sure. And I just like, I can't squat like that. And what I recognize, or I have since recognized is that when you get to a point where you're like, oh, I'm doing these drills all the time, but I have to always do these drills cause I'm making no changes. Well, then you're making no fucking changes. Yep. And so you're actually just wasting your fucking time. Cause if it made a legitimate change over time, either it would progress in terms of, you know, you don't have to do that thing to give you access to that position anymore, mm -hmm. or you can perhaps move to a more advanced version of it. You know, mm -hmm. like maybe the first sort of breathing positional drill we give you is like a really basic 90, 90 pelvic tilt reach sort of position. Mm -hmm. And then that progresses into like an all fours kind of bare plank that then progresses into like a proper plank that then progresses into maybe like a stir the pot sort of version. Like it's, it's this progression of, intensity and complexity that helps you recognize that you are actually improving at the things that you're looking to improve. Mm -hmm. Cause if you're just doing the same shit all the time, you're not actually getting any better. The, the idea of specific adaption to applied demand works in the warm up as well as it does in the actual fucking exercising. Uh -huh. uh, Cause it's the same idea. If, if you're doing just the same shit all the time and not making any gain, then what's the fucking point? Hmm. I, I think it's really easy to get lost in that cycle, especially in the context of muscle tone or muscle tightness and yeah. static stretching. Like think of, uh, think of all the people um, that get stuck in the cycle of my hips tight, need to stretch my hips. So I can squat, squat, my hips tight, need to stretch my hips and get stuck yep. in this cycle. Sometimes, you know, not only is there what you were saying in terms of something needs to change in terms of progression, but also there's a, there's oftentimes something that might be missing and to, to kind of really rocket through the principle that's going on here. Um, we need to understand what muscle tone is or what muscle yes. tightness is and where it comes from in very, 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 very plain and simple terms for people understand look at it as like uh when an area a joint a muscle whatever goes undergoes trauma there's a neural signal that goes to that area to say hey you know what stop doing that let's send you some muscle tone so you restrict movement there that's where mm -hmm. muscle tightness comes from uh you as a very strong willed and strong-minded lifter says hey you know what buddy fuck you i'm fuck gonna, you. Anyway. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. keep doing this thing so you keep doing it you keep getting beat up and you find that okay when i stretch well, now I can move again. So I can get into that position. So I can stretch. Now I can move. Now I can do the thing, do the thing, get fucked up. Now you're tight again. You get stuck in this cycle, right? Yeah. Uh, so stretching, like I was saying before, is a way of you tricking your body to be like, hey, cool, we're safe. It's like, how do we break the cycle? We add something in between those two things. And that's yeah. by and large stability or mobility work is, yeah. is learning to control a joint through that range to tell your body, hey, you know what? We actually know how to control this thing. And then yeah. you 
to apply that into whatever movement you're doing that's beating you up. Uh, so static stretching, because it's been so demonized in the last five years. Yeah, yeah. People have gone the other end of the spectrum, much like they did with foam rolling and all of those sort of things. Yeah, it's people are like, oh, that's tight. That means it's weak. Strengthen it. It's a fucking bullshit. Powerlifters yeah. are fucking strong. If they were strong, they wouldn't be tight. If it was an issue of weakness, we'd have no problems. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more to do like control, uh, joint control, stability, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, so the the missing piece of the puzzle then is how do we control that joint in the correct fashion? And so static stretching does have a place for some people, not necessarily everyone, but for some people in yep. some areas. And the order it would then go with would be like static stretch. Okay, body, hey, you're okay to move in this plane of motion. Yeah. Stability slash mobility work, you know, some sort of whatever drill that you need to do to target mm-hmm. that joint and tell your body, hey, you know what? We know how to control this thing. At the same time, you are priming that position for then when you shove yourself under a bar. Go shove yourself under a bar, work on that area. Over time, you're going to see an improvement. And then you can focus on whatever else in your body gets fucked up because inevitably it will. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where uh, certainly as I've learned more, I've recognized more and more the power of like breathing in terms of helping you access positions and, you know, trick the body into relaxing and giving you a little less tone and a little more range of motion, Uh, especially in people who are sort of just tense, anxious kind of people. There's a lot of power in using the breath as a signal for uh, the body to relax and give you access to those positions. Things like, especially for a power lifter who said, you know, say has spent a, a lifetime under a barbell squatting in one breath and never actually inhaling or exhaling through that movement pattern, doing some like really slow tempo goblet squats where you're breathing while moving through that range of motion rather than holding everything tight can be really useful at helping the body just figure out and kind of organize itself and give you access to some of those positions. Mm-hmm. I heard the where did I hear it? Um I think it was Pat Davidson. I was watching something from uh Dr. Pat Davidson where he talked about describing posture as or defining posture as the number of positions you can move to and breathe in. Uh which I thought was a really interesting way of looking at you know, the overarching skill of movement is that sort of shows you how well you can control a position is if you can be in that position and breathe. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of power lifters would find getting to the bottom of the squat. They're in a position where suddenly their breath is really shallow and they can't actually get any air in. And like under a heavy load, I don't want you to be breathing. I want you to be locked in and rigid, but with some of those more general movement drills and things like that, being able to actively control your breath, cycle in those positions can be really useful as a stimulus as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I, I would look at that in, in terms of like, um, because I, I, I agree in the sense that uh, if you can't manipulate your body to uh, assume the bottom position of a squat completely unloaded, uh, then you're going to have some sort of issue that's going to pop up through the, through the process. And that's not to say um because I hate the notion that people use of you have to be able to perform this perfect body weight squat before yeah. you squat low bar with a bar, because that's yeah. just absolute fucking bullshit. But if you are warm, if you're primed, if you're ready to go and you can't access that bottom position without a great deal of effort, um, it, it's probably going to be indicative of some poor control, poor movement, poor stability that is probably going to bite you in the ass, eventually performing it under load repetitively, Yeah, which is essentially where we come into many, many, many problems as strength training athletes. Yeah. Um, 
is, is that inability to access certain positions, that inability to control certain positions is almost always uh, where these things stem from uh, once you add into the equation uh, repetitive movement under load. Yeah, which power, that's the definition of training for powerlifting is for sure. re- repetitive movements in a really rigid uh, plane of motion with not a lot of variability in terms of movement patterns and all of those sort of things. So as soon as you have any of those underlying control issues or skill issues like that, that's where you're going to run into problems. It's just going to manifest itself quietly in the background mm-hmm. until suddenly your elbow hurts every time you think about bench press. What about activation? Is it a thing? Do you believe in it when so you fall I, in this camp? I put a, um, a post up on the Burley page a couple of weeks ago uh, that was me just doing my best to make a clickbaity Instagram post, which I think worked out as well as I had hoped it to, uh, where I had like a thing that was like the real secret to glute activation. And then you'd swipe to the left and it said, step one, stand up and take three steps forward. And then the next slide was, congratulations, your glutes are active. Um, and for me, that's, that's sort of my answer to that question. Um, I think again, I, like I drank the Kool-Aid, I did glute activation work. I've done all of those sort of things. Uh, I don't think activation is the right description of what you're doing Yep, because it's, it's not activation. Your muscles are active, whether you fucking like it or not. Mm -hmm. And if you walked on two feet through the front door of the gym, your glutes are active enough for you to squat because mm-hmm. actually in in terms of their, their evolutionary function, your glutes are about controlling your hips as you walk. And if you can do that, then your glutes are doing their job. Mm-hmm. The thing that people are struggling with is, is that idea of stability. And even then I, I really like uh, some of the stuff Jamie and the strength culture dudes have talked about with the idea of stability being like a task specific skill rather than a, like a nebulous measurable quantity uh and a lot of it is skill it's skill in pelvic control it's skill in the relationship between your rib cage and pelvis when you move it's those things that make it seem like your glutes aren't active Mm. but it's actually just a real cop out for like hey maybe you just suck at the skill Mm. Uh, because in the scheme of things if what you're doing is lying on your side with a band around your knee doing some clamshells uh that might make it feel like your bum's burning a little bit and you've done some work on on your glutes themselves but it's not actually going to help you squat because it doesn't address how the glute functions as a part of the system that is a complex movement like a squat Mm. yeah yeah i I don't personally think that the idea of uh stability just being because motor control is one of the controllable factors that we have and stability is more like a definition of uh a definition of attribute i don't think skill and motor control is enough to encompass what stability means in our context so i prefer to look at it as like an umbrella term that includes those things amongst other things yeah yeah and that's that's certainly more how i would look at it as well it's not that i yeah it's not that i don't use it it's just that it I think I was thinking about it from the wrong standpoint for a long time. For sure. Me and too. my, th- my thinking about it has evolved to encompass, like you said, the ideas of motor control and motor learning and stuff like that. 
For sure. For sure. Yeah. The, the way I explain the activation thing to people is like, if you had to activate things every morning, when you wake up, you'd have to do a shitload of eyelid activation. So you can blink all day. You'd have to do a shitload of jaw <laughs> yeah. activation so you can eat and talk all day. It's just, a, and it's the same thing when it comes to muscle tightness. If, if using a muscle created tightness, then our jaws would be fucked. Our eyes would be fucked. The muscles that control our mouth and our smile would be fucked. Everything would be fucked that we use day to day, which we use a lot of like your forearms be fucked from using your fingers it's it's just not how it works there's something yep. more to it and that principle of uh, stability is really uh, or, or that umbrella terminology of stability is really what's uh, uh, encompassing what people think is activation yes exactly um, the, the problem the, the key problem i have with the idea of activation is that uh, and I'm a hundred percent guilty of doing this many, many years ago as part of my coaching is the idea that if now you can feel something, it is working. Yeah, um, yeah. And so yeah. you give people a test to do an exercise to do that is guaranteed to make a certain thing burn up and create feeling. And it's like, okay, now that thing works, it can do its job. And that yeah. was before, you know, uh, before I had any understanding of what that particular muscle was, what it did, what its yeah, job yeah. was, what its it's function like, oh, was yeah. in the context of the squat. Yeah, it was just exactly. like, that thing's near your bum. That thing hurts. Okay, great. It's yeah, on. Yeah, cool. It's burning. It's on. Cool. Yeah, yeah, Banded exactly. walk was a success. It served its purpose. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then, whoa, your squat looks better. Why does it look better? Because we gave you better cues and because we gave you better programming. Because <laughs> yeah, like yeah. it, it becomes like a product of uh, a lot of other things rather than um, the activation. So, well, I, and I think that's a, a problem with confirmation bias, right? For sure. happen, it happens in programming. It happens in every aspect where you're like, hey, I did this thing and then it changed. So that must be the, the reason. It's the correlation causation effect. Yeah. Uh, um, and I, I think this is a good place to, to sort of take it a, another direction um, because, you know, we, we can, we can uh, put this stuff down, uh, but the, it raises the question, is this stuff causing any harm? Uh, to which I would yeah. say next to no. Yeah, yeah exactly. almost absolutely none. In which case, if it's if if there's a little harmless activation drill, if there's a little harmless, you know, uh, yeah. stretching over a foam roller or rolling over a foam roller, I don't care. Fucking do it. You know, if it's it's going to make you switch on more and perform better from a mental perspective, absolutely. Like I don't believe in foam rolling that much. I have plenty of them at both of my gyms. Uh, before I train, you'll see me grab a roller and lie on my side on it uh, mm. because why? it's it's been part of my routine for so long that it's almost like um the switch to be like i'm in the gym but now i'm not working anymore now i am training yeah. it's and just like that fucking that that key unlocks the door now i can walk into training mode yeah exactly and i think that's um that's uh the piece that i'm more than happy to talk to people about is like hey if you feel like it's doing something great but let's like have a discussion about what you think it's doing and just give you some context to why it's maybe effective. Mm-hmm. Cause maybe it is as simple as just like, it makes you feel better. Mm-hmm. And if it makes you feel better, fuck it, do it. And like, that's the, the brain and what you feel and what makes you feel like you're ready. The most is probably the most effective thing. Mm-hmm. 
my concern is when people are doing it because they have this flawed sense of logic that this is what they're doing. Cause then they talk to someone else about it. Absolutely. And then they start like someone else is like, wow, well that fucking foam rolling that Thomas does must be breaking up his fascial tissue. And (laughs) so maybe I need to do more fascial tissue rolling. Maybe I'll go and buy a jigsaw with a fucking squash ball on the end of it and just pummel all my tissues into oblivion. Mm -hmm. Uh, that is the rabbit hole I don't like about that. Yep, but ultimately, sure. like you said, if it, if it feels good, if you, it makes you feel better, great. I think the thing you touched on there, that idea of a switch is so important and mm-hmm. so often overlooked. Uh, it is especially relevant for people like you and I that train in our workplace. Because mm-hmm. for a lot of people, whether you recognize it or not, that switch is your drive to the gym. And I know a lot of people in my community and I'm sure in gym communities across the country and I imagine the world have struggled with the idea of training at home because they're missing without recognizing it. They're missing a part of the routine. That is that drive to the gym. It's that going to a place. Shh, buddy. Uh, Buddy, you devious little bastard. Come here. Say hello. Uh, Hey buddy. Um, he's a cute dog, man. Uh, yeah. So I think a lot of people probably have only really recognized this as a factor in the last six months when they've been in a position where they no longer have that subconscious switch. Uh, I think your warm up can be a very important part of that subconscious switch, whether it's you spend a couple of minutes lying on a foam roller breaking up your fascial tissue or whether it's you spend five minutes on a spin bike, you know, spinning your legs over or doing some movement drill or something like something like that, where the goal is less about the end result and more about bringing your focus to the task at hand. For me, it's like some of those breathing positional drills I start with because they're the one where I like lie on the floor. I can't do anything other than do them. Like I can't do those breathing drills effectively and scroll through Instagram. I can't do anything like that. So for me, it's, it's a really useful tool of doing something like that, being able to switch my mindset, from, especially in, in the gym from work mode to training mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a tool that some people neglect. For sure. For sure. I think that's a really good spot to, uh, to finish things. Uh, notwithstanding the fact that, uh, not the, notwithstanding the fact that the child is desperate for food. So excellent. I'm glad that our podcast episode length is determined exclusively by buddy's diet routine. <laughs> it's, it's his breakfast time and he knows it. Yeah. Like, and, and as soon as it ticks past nine o'clock, he goes mental. Yeah, yeah. The, all the animals in my house, including the toddler, do the same thing. <laughs> um, Sweet as. Cool. All right. Warm ups, friends. Yep. Definitely. Until next time. Goodbye.